Hey everyone, this is Josh Holman, and you're listening to the Beyond Mars podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders in aerospace, aviation, and defense. Today, our guest is the one, the only, Dr. Jacques Besser, Senior Systems Engineer at Boeing. Welcome, Jacques. Well, thank you, Josh. It's a pleasure being with you this evening. Yes, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you this evening. We'll talk about several things. First, your rise in the aerospace and defense industries. Second, several amazing projects you uh, have worked on previously or are currently working on. And lastly, where you see your industry going. So let's just dive right in. Um, can you walk us through for our listeners your journey to becoming the senior systems engineer? Sure. Let me let me start way back when I was uh, a teenager, growing up in Belgium. I was in the uh, late '60s, and of course the uh, the space program, going to the moon, Apollo program was going full blast, and I got very interested. And I decided to write a letter to NASA, basically asking them to send me documentation and picture and brochures about the space program, and to be quite honest with you, my father kind of laughed at me, said they will never answer, <laughs> but guess what, they did. They sent oh, wow. me a whole stack of information, which of course made my day, if not my year. So yeah. good, for the, good for NASA to uh, helping young people all over the world, keeping up with uh, aerospace and getting interested in the subject. So that was my first <laughs> bite, so to speak, and of course I continued after that, following up the, the landing on the moon in, when was it, 69, I think, and things of that nature. I came to this country in, uh, in 1971 because I did not find uh, space programs, uh, studies available in Belgium, and so I applied to, to various colleges in, in this country, you know, Caltech, MIT, places like that, and I got accepted at Caltech, and of course, uh, being a young man and enjoying the beaches and the sunshine and the good school, yeah. I said, well, I'll pick Caltech. You know, I, I came to Caltech yeah. and um, learned, uh, you know, aerospace. I was primarily interested at the time in uh, fluid mechanics. Uh, and then um, as I left Caltech, uh, after only a couple of years, because I transferred from college um, in Belgium, I went to Stanford, you know, where where I decided to study guidance and navigation. I got interested in guidance, inertial systems, and so on. So I studied uh, under Professor Bryson, who was a very well-known, uh, you know, guidance and control person, wrote several books, uh, pr primarily Commons filtering and the like. So I became an expert in that field, and, and I did my thesis on... Um, on the tilt rotor X aircraft, which is currently known as the Osprey, you know, actually being manufactured by Boeing. So that was uh, in the early 80s that I basically developed some early guidance for the tilt rotor aircraft, as it was called at the time. It was a NASA project. Wow. So I was working on a scholarship for NASA. And I did that on, on an old IBM machine with the punch cards. <laughs> <laughs> took you took you a long time a to lot. compute, huh? Oh, you, you you put the cards in, and then you go to lunch and find out in you know, a couple hours later if your program had a bug in it. So, oh my gosh, those were the those were the old days, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I did that and I had a lot of fun. 
left uh, Stanford in the late 70s, you know, with my PhD. And uh, I started working immediately in a small company uh, on, on GPS. So they, they had contract with, uh, with the Magnavox to, to, to help them with a GPS program. And so I started working on that. And um, that's where I had my, my first big success, if you will. Um, the, uh, the Air Force was testing the, the, the Magnavox receivers uh, in airplanes in, in Yuma. And the, there, was a, there was a colonel that was running the program and Birnbaum was his name, and he was a tough cookie. And he got very pissed off one day. He said, oh, program for Magnavox, keep on crashing, and what the heck's going on? And so me, the young guy, you know, one year out of college, the Magnavox told me, you got to help us. You got to figure out what's wrong with that program and fix it. And so I, li- I looked into it and fixed it, and we sent the update to, to the Air Force. And from that day on, that colonel was my best friend. I could not do wrong by him because I had saved his butt once. And uh, so I got my first uh, kudos, you know, on the, at the time. So I went on and uh, I became interested in, in different aspects of GPS, you know, um, primarily uh, differential GPS. And that was a little bit of a sore point to the, to the Air Force. You can imagine they had the, the GPS system they had two parts at the time. One was the part for the military, which had full accuracy. And the other part was the part for the civilian population, which, which could have as much as 500 meters of position error. Basically, the GPS program could tweak you know, the system to only provide that kind of accuracy to the civilian. Right. We don't have that anymore today. Although the capability is still there, but it's down to zero. So they, they don't have that thing. Hmm. Uh, but differential GPS basically is basically said, you know, I said, well, if you, if you place a receiver on the ground at a known location and you have that receiver and computer track the satellites and compute your compute the range to every satellite, since you know where you are and you know where the satellites are, you can tell how much of an error is in each range and correct it. Hmm. And so that's basically what differential GPS does. You then broadcast those corrections for every satellite to a user in the neighborhood, could be miles away, not too far because the error decorrelate, but to a user in the neighborhood. And that user can then bring his error down to basically the same as a perfect system, even better than a perfect system. Today, basically sub-meter, if not, if not less than that. So wow. that's what people use on golf courses. And you know that's why you know, when you look at your range from where you are to, to the pin, you get it to a few a meter or less. That's because they use differential and, and things like that. Is it so? so I wrote, uh, real quick question. Ahead. Real quick question. So is this similar to what my iPhone can do now when I'm looking at my location on a map? Are they using this differential technology? Well, or is- iPhone they use cell towers and things. They use more complex system. You know, they've evolved. They use the cell tower location. They use some complex system. To, to compute your location. As you know, the, you get your position quite quickly. They don't exclusively use satellites. They use a mix of things. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I don't, I don't know all the detail about what they do, but uh, some companies about 10, 15 years ago came up with a technology to, to combine GPS with cell phones and what have you, and basically give very quick uh, solutions to, um, to, to cell phone users. Right. Okay, I just was wondering. Um, so, so, I was just wondering. So continue. So yeah, so 
1980, you know, which was way back when I wrote, I wrote the first paper on differential GPS to the, to the great chagrin of, uh, of the Air Force because I was basically <laughs> telling people how to defeat, how to defeat, which at the time was a protection for allowing foreigner or foreign users or foreign enemies, you know, to, you, to get the full accuracy of our system. Mm. But anyway, so that was that. It, it was very well received. And of course, everybody ran with it and uh, it became very popular. And after GPS, uh, you know, I, I kept working on GPS and I, I, I manufactured, um, I joined a company, became a co-owner of a company where we say, well, you know, there's not just the GPS US system. There's also, at the time, the Russian GLONASS, GLONASS. Global Navigation Satellite System, which is the Russian, the Russian GPS, if you can yes, call so it that. Yes, the way. Russian were, version of our GPS. That's right. And yes. so I basically say, why don't we build a receiver that can work with both system? And the, uh, we had to we had to study the GLONASS system signal because, of course, the Russians were not sharing their their technology. We were able to to decode the information about their system by listening to it and basically found out how it worked and basically able to, to build the first combined GPS GLONASS. And the primary use of those things were for precise timing. We were selling, we were selling those devices to timing institute. You know, the, the timing in this country, uh, all the timing institute all over the world basically bought our system because they were able to, to use the precise, the precise GLONASS in addition to the imprecise GPS that they had access to, to get very good timing and mm. basically set their clocks, their, their very precise cesium clock and rubidium clocks to that. So that was, that was a good source of, uh, of income. In addition, we were selling smaller boxes uh, for use by, you know, recreational user. And frankly, we were approached by several, I would call shady, shady customer from some, from some strange countries <laughs> that wanted to buy our receivers and bypass the, uh, the limitations on using missiles. Because, you know, basically a GPS receiver, any receiver has tracking loops. And the tracking loops is what allows you to, you know, to track the signal under heavy dynamics. And the, uh, the requirement from the U.S. State Department is that if you're going to export this to people that you know, we don't have great relation with, you have to limit the ability of the, of the receiver to track high dynamics so they can't use it in missiles and things like that, so they can't use it in weapons. Frankly, after 25 years or so in GPS, I, I decided it was time to do something else. And the Boeing company, um, I don't know, came after me and wanted me to work on missile defense. And I didn't even know what missile defense was. So what it was was basically the ground, the ground-based mid-course defense (GMD) for short, which is basically the um, the anti-ballistic missile that we have developed and installed in uh, in Greeley, in Alaska, and in uh, Vandenberg in California, to basically intercept and destroy uh, a, sh- a small number of nuclear attacks, nuclear missiles that would come our way primarily due to some maniac that would launch him, not, not a massive attack from a, from a country like Russia or China. But so I worked on that system. It was quite different, but 
at the end of the day, if you're an engineer and a system engineer, it all comes down to to um, mathematical principles, you know, inertial navigation, mm-hmm. equations, common filter, you know, do things. And so I learned new tricks using the same principles I've, I'd used all my life. And it was quite a challenge. And, you know, when we were doing those, those actual flight tests, when we would intercept a, a dummy missile, uh, we, you may have heard, you know, they're, they're always well publicized. It was quite interesting and, and exciting when we'd hit it. Hmm. Imagine the, the problem. The problem that, that we're solving is basically hitting a bullet with a bullet. Right. You can right. imagine that's not easy. That's no. not easy. Hitting a bullet with a bullet. And so that that's a very successful program with, with a good operational capability. You, you have to understand those were the, uh, the 80s and the 90s, and we were worried about North Korea and even Iran to some extent. And so people wanted to have some kind of a capability in case some something awful started by some crazy general someplace. Hmm. And so we had that system developed. That's amazing. And then then yeah, then I, I did other things at Boeing that you know I, I can't really talk about and some various space programs. And uh, recently I moved on to, um, to basically supporting, let's say supporting our ballistic missile submarine fleet. So let's just leave it at that. I do I do work for them. Uh, again, I went from GPS to to space to undersea. So you know I'm I'm all over the place and uh, just the way I like it. Different challenges, um, but basically the same concept. So if there are any students listening out there, remember the basic concepts, the basic mathematical and engineering concept that you learn. You will carry them with you across all kind of fields. You always go back to them. If mm-hmm. you have a good understanding of those things, you have a good. You can do anything. You mm-hmm. just learn new details about the new program, apply the same principles, and get to where you want to go. So, very important to nurture and concentrate on those basic principles and concepts. Yeah, you 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 bring a, up a great point. I think another great point that came up earlier in your your story is with that it was a colonel, correct, on that base yes. that um had a problem and you'll run into this no matter what stage of your career. There will always be problems. Uh when there's no more problems, we don't have jobs anymore. But uh when when the, that problem came up, you stepped in and you solved that problem and you probably made a lifelong friend or ally and for anyone in any stage of the career when you have a problem that's you know it might be you might think it's outside of your capabilities but if you step in and and do the best you can and you and like you said use the principles that you learned uh in school or you know self if you've self-taught and you've read and and watched videos or whatever um I promise you'll be successful. And you were, I mean, you, yeah. you continually hit milestones in your career, building upon basic principles that you learned in school. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And that brings back that, that kernel, you know, that guy, as I say, was a tough cookie, <laughs> didn't mince his words and, and didn't talk much, but all of a sudden I get a phone call. This is Colonel Birnbaum. Dr. Besser, I have one thing to tell you. You did good. Nice talking to you. Bye. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So that was that. And then later we talked more, but that was the, the first 
conversation I had with him. You know, he just said, you did good and hang up the phone. <laughs> yeah, that was the longest paragraph was he probably has, has said in a long time. <laughs> he was a good guy. Yeah. No, thank you, Jacques. I, what I would like to do is, you know, you combined, you know, I guess the first and second thing we were talking about, your kind of your story and your rise within your industry and, you know, great projects you got to work on. You you interwove the whole the whole story, which I, I love. Um, let's pivot now to the third part, which is um, trends that you're seeing in the next five, 10 years. And you can talk about whether it's satellite, uh, GPS, um, missile defense. I, I don't know. Where, wherever you want to take us. Yeah, no, I'll, take you, I'll talk about a variety of subjects. So I will talk about the commercial trends for non-military things, and I'll talk about the military trends. Um, for commercial trends, you know, I see a transition, and even for military for that part, more and more use of unmanned systems, unmanned airplanes. I can see unmanned cargo planes transporting, car, you know, Federal Express, you know, UPS planes. They want yeah. pilots in them. They'll be flying on their own, you know, they'll be all oh, self-control, save the unfortunate for the pilot, they lose their jobs, you know, but those things will be flying alone. So I see a lot of that going, a lot of autonomous flight. Um, um, as far as military, you'll see the same thing. A lot of autonomous uh, unmanned airplanes, uh, again, to put in harm's way, nobody cares so much if an unmanned vehicle gets shut down than if a pilot gets killed. So. A lot more unmanned, putting them in harm way, maybe maybe uh, sense enemy defenses, sense where the tough spots are, the weak spots, and then pass the information in the back for the for the big stuff to come in and do their thing. Uh, on the GPS side, I think uh, you will see continuous development of multi-system, the GNSS, you know, the Global Navigation Satellite System, GPS, Beidou from China. GLONASS from Russia, uh, Galileo from Europe, you know, all of those systems. And the reason, the reason using all those systems together is so advantageous, not only because you have access to tens and tens of satellites, but because the biggest danger or the biggest weakness of those systems is their extremely weak signals and therefore high susceptibility to jamming and mm -hmm. spoofing. And so, you have heard stories about people spoofing uh, ships on the water, basically taking them out. Of you basically send fake signals out and basically capture a receiver with fake signals. And so the, the receiver basically start computing a wrong position and start going in a different direction. Hmm. And uh, those are those, those people that do that, do that for fun, uh, which is of course a, a nasty thing to do. But the more, satellites you have, the more difficult it is because you can trust check all the satellites, again, that crazy one that's trying to pull you away and throw it away as opposed to accept it. And so those are, you know, military uh, applications, you know, anti-spoofing is very important. And, and you, you hear about that a lot. People are worried about that. Hmm. You know, GPS, uh, the GPS signal is uh, minus 161 dBW. So so it's 10, uh, 10 to the minus 16 watt. 10 to the minus 16 watt wow. is the signal you get. Imagine, a, you know, you have a light bulb, you know, 
a few kilowatts. This is 10 to the minus 16 watts. So it's absolutely minuscule. You gotta go pull it uh, with a spread spectrum receiver. You gotta go pull it from within the noise, basically, and suck the system, the signal out from within the, the background noise of the, of the environment. Let's see what else. Obviously, the mission to Mars, that's gonna happen. Uh, I see, of course, also the commercial space tourism. You know, you've seen uh, a couple of those planes, you know, the Branson and the one from Bezos, right? They, mm -hmm. they took play people up in the air for 400K. Well, you know, eventually it's going to be 1K, right? Right. Uh, just to give you an example, the first GPS receiver that I worked on that were as big as a kitchen sink in the 70s, they cost 200K each. Wow. But now they cost now they cost a few cents. You put them in a watch, right? They cost nothing. Right. Yeah. So, you know, right now it's for the rich guys to go in space. In 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 five years, ten years, who knows? People, you know, will spend a few, it's just like taking a, a plane, you know, to Europe. Spend a couple of thousand bucks. You spend a couple of thousand to take a quick trip in space and experience, you know, weightlessness, which is also fun. Yeah. Um, so that, that's what I see, and you'll see more space assets in, in military space assets, you know, satellites for uh, spying and detection of things, and also, you know, uh, environmental detection of, you know, uh, storms and, and things like that. So space is going to continue to be populated more and more by civilians and, and military things. I, I, I talked about the space program and the commercial tourism and uh so i think aerospace you know it's just booming you know it's oh, going to yes. continue to grow i don't see any um any decrease coming anytime soon but again i can see a tremendous transition to unmanned systems i think that uh that's the way to go you know there's a lot of work in uh, military on hypersonic vehicles right mm -hmm. uh, to to go faster that's a very advance all countries are working on this uh, to develop hypersonic weapons um, you know the russians are working the chinese we are you know it as, as seen in this press um, so there's a lot of stuff going on there that that's also the next frontier yeah so that that's basically uh, the way i see things going you know and again i encourage uh, any young listener to um, Keep doing what they're doing and learn the basics and, uh, you know, enjoy and continue to contribute to uh, aerospace engineering, whether it's in, for the military or for uh, civilians, whether it's uh, space or airplanes. Uh, there's tremendous opportunity in that, in that business area yeah. uh, for many, many years to come. Oh, my gosh. Yes, it's, it's there's more opportunity now and there's going to be even more in the next 5 10 15 years what used to be um especially in aerospace pilots uh test pilots were the only ones going up now they're wanting different scientists engineers um almost any type of job that we have down here um on earth will be up in space there'll, there'll be a need for it so um the the sky's the limit um, Jacques, I, I wanted to, I could just listen for, <laughs> uh, just hours to your stories. I, I, I really love your, 
your story of being in Belgium and uh, being a, I would say a super NASA fan writing to them and uh, you, you know, your father didn't think you'd get uh, a letter back or anything back and they sent you pamphlets and uh, good on the, the marketing side of NASA, which definitely was a huge plus for, I guess, the U.S. and and those of us that use GPS or other things that you contributed to. Um, you ended up in Stanford and and doing many things with companies and, and our military and defense with, with GPS and um, all the way to working on um, some uh, undisclosed projects for, for Boeing. And I, I just want to thank you for being on. I've, I've just had an, an amazing time and I wanted to wish you the best and have a great, great evening. Well, thank you much, Josh. It was my pleasure to share my my stories with you. You know, I always enjoy sharing them. It's It's been a, a fun journey for me. And I'm coming close to the end of this journey, but uh, I will always cherish pretty much every step along the way. Uh, I, I stumbled a couple of times, like most of us do, but overall it's been a great adventure and I would not give it, give it up for, for anything. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jacques. Have a wonderful time and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you, Josh. Bye.